You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. to, uh, to uh, uh, fill in for him, and uh, so I just want to thank him for the opportunity of speaking. I also want to thank all of you. Uh, we recently joined the church within a few weeks ago, and uh, I just want to say thank you for inviting us into the family. Uh, we are now a part of this household, the household of God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we look forward to growing with you together uh, into the heart of God and experiencing what he has for, for each of us. And so uh, Jeff asked me to speak uh, on the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Uh, as uh, the text, uh, we're going to be looking at several passages of scripture. Uh, but today what I want to do, uh, originally I felt like the Lord said that he wanted to talk about family as a, an aspect of the kingdom. But as we begin to work together on the sermon, I begin to realize that there are some foundational things that we need to look at before we get to that component. And he gave me the example of uh, in the kingdom, there's the king and his effective rule and reign. Uh, in, in other words, everything that he owns belongs to him. Uh, and he extends his power authority in his realm, okay? And uh, so... Uh, if you look at it from a medieval perspective, we always saw that the king lived in a castle. And I felt like uh, if Jeff gives me the opportunity in the future to teach, he's go- we're recording the message. Uh, we joked uh, this week, and I said, so you can check to see if I've spoken any heresy, right? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, I feel like the Lord is saying that uh, within the palace... Uh, There are treasure rooms, Uh, and uh, as we look at these treasures, we will come to various doors within the palace, Uh, and the one that he is focused on next is the treasure room marked family. Family. There is treasure to be found in the family of God. There's treasure to be found in the palace, Uh, and there are various aspects to the kingdom, and so Today, that's what we want to do, is we want to look at kind of an overview of what the kingdom means, what the kingdom of God means. We see, particularly in Matthew, Jesus, as he teaches, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. We can use the word kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven interchangeably, uh, but uh, uh, because they mean the same thing. Uh, God, uh, it dwells in heaven. It is his domain and where he is. Uh, that is his effective rule and reign. Uh, and so uh, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God uh, is, the, uh, is the topic that we want to look at today. Now, uh, first of all, I'd like to start off with 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 7. Now, I'm not a high-tech guy, okay, because uh, um, I'm 10 years older than Jeff, okay? And so, um, so with that, uh, I missed out on the techie part of life, uh, and so I just need help from people who are younger than I. 
you know, my kids are really helpful. They'll show me how to use my phone, and they're usually quite nice to me. They don't look at me too disgusted when I ask them a question. But, uh, but anyway, um, so uh, I'm going to do it old school. I'm going to read from here, and uh, you guys can look it up on your phone. Uh, but let's take a look, first of all, uh, as we lay out a foundation for the kingdom of God, let's look at 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 7. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul, and he says here, uh, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the na- mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden from that and that God destined for our glory before time began. And so one of the things that is important about the kingdom is that it is a kingdom of power. Now, I grew up in the church. Uh, I was born in Mason City, St. Joseph Mercy Hospital back in the day, okay? Uh, I remember, uh, I don't remember my birth, but I remember my, <laughs> I remember my sister's birth uh, four years later, and uh, where, uh, where we stood with Grandpa and Grandma because we weren't allowed to go in, my mother waved from the window because I was really attached to her, and this was the first time I'd really been separated from her, but uh, that place right now is where... Um, uh, were the Forest Park Clinic sets in that park. That was a parking lot that looked up into the old building, which is now yeah, completely surrounded by other buildings. Anyway, born in Mason City. Uh, and so uh, when I left here after graduating from Nyack, I said I was never coming back. Any of you ever vowed that you would never do something and you find that, yes, okay, all right, I'm talking to the right crowd, okay. So, (laughs) isn't it interesting how God changes us and he changes our heart because I love being here. Why? Because God has sent me here. He chose me to do this and I resisted that and yet he changed my heart. So, good news for each of us that those things that God needs to do in our lives, he's going to change our hearts in order for that to be accomplished. There is a grace from heaven for each of us to become the men and women of God that he has called us to be. And it it is his work, and our job is to cooperate with the Spirit of God. We cooperate with what God is doing. We need revelation, though, don't we? And so today we want to talk about the revelation of the kingdom of God and what it means to us and how the power of the kingdom comes to each one of us to change us into his likeness and image. And so these powerful and persuasive words were not more powerful than the power of the kingdom, the power of the Spirit of God. Now, we live in a world that places a high... uh, um, Uh, value on education. And I place a high value on education, but I do not place it above the power of God. God's power supersedes the education, the intellect, the mind. So when I grew up in the church, I uh, was taught, we we, we talked about the kingdom, we saw it, it was in scripture right there, but I didn't understand that it had power. 
I had information, but I did not have a spiritual transformation. I didn't have power. I hadn't encountered the Holy Spirit at that point in the way that I really needed to, okay? I believe that no one can confess that Jesus is Lord and come into the kingdom without the work of the Spirit. So no matter what group of people or what house you've been a part of, as you have been, as you've come into a relationship and understand your need for Jesus as a Savior, you come into the kingdom and it's the work of the Spirit. But there's more than that. That's the first step in our lives of being transformed into His likeness and image. And there is power in the kingdom of God to do that work in us. Now, what we need is we need hearts that will submit and cooperate with the work of the Spirit as he brings transformation. That's our job. Our job is to cooperate with God and let him do his work in and through us. And we will be pleasantly surprised. And we will be amazed at what he does. So growing up in the church, I missed the understanding of the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit and the power that it brought and the transformation that it brought. I had an intellectual conversion, but I had not understood the kingdom of God. Now, you can talk about something, but you don't necessarily mean you understand it, right? It isn't until you experience it that it becomes real. And it isn't until your heart Actually, because in, your, in the mind, with your mind, with your understanding, you can understand things. But it's when your heart understands it that real change comes to your life. It's when your heart, you realize that under pressure, you snap back to normal. If you want to know what's going on inside of you, find yourself in a pressure situation. And what is internal within you will pop up. It'll come up. Now, usually I don't like what I see under pressure when it comes up in me. So God still has work to do in my life, okay? So I'm not coming to you as an individual who says, oh, I've got it all here, and I'm here to share these wonderful words of wisdom, and you guys need to straighten out. No, I am a sojourner with all of you in the transformation of the kingdom of God in my life. And we're going to see what he's going to do, not only in my life, but also in yours. And you realize that as we are a part of each other's lives, that our destinies and legacies are woven together. Our destiny, our individual destinies are brought together as the family of God. And in that, God takes that and he does a beautiful thing, not only in our own individual lives, but he also weaves it together in a powerful expression. See, this church, and there will be other churches within this community that God will use, but there is a special call on this house. There's a special call on you and I to see the kingdom released in this realm, to transform this city because Jesus bought this city with his blood. He is deserving of this city. He is, deserves this city, and you and I have been called into the kingdom to be a part of what he is going to do in this city. Now, we have, we've heard prophetically already that God is doing a work in us. He's doing a work in us. And he's inviting us. The invitation is there for you and I to step into what he is doing here, to link shoulders, arms together, and to find out what the king wants to do, okay? 
Now, I have to be careful here because I'm going to get ahead of myself because it's just leading right into where I want to go. But I've got some other things I need to talk about first, okay? So the first principle, if you will, that I'd like to look at is that the kingdom of heaven is both taught and also experienced. We just kind of touched on that. But I had an intellectual understanding, but did not have an experiential reality. So it wasn't real. It was interesting. I remember talking to someone. Uh, he, had, um, he had raised his children within uh, a Christian school, not in this city, uh, and they had both walked away from the Lord. And uh, it was like, it was a good, good uh, a Christian school. And I, and, but it was like, I was thinking, but what, what, what was going on in the household? What was happening to you as the father? Were you encountering the living God? Were you, were you experiencing the kingdom in your household? And what I felt like was his children were taught, but they hadn't encountered. They were taught, but they hadn't experienced. And then when the, the pressures of life, the, the peer pressures and all of the other things that came around came into their life, they actually left because it was an intellectual conversion rather than an experiential reality. The kingdom of God is an experiential reality and it changes our lives forever. Forever. It is power to transform us. We take on the image and likeness of Christ. We participate in the divine nature of God as we step into the kingdom. And so, the Apostle Paul in Corinthians said, I came in power so that your conversion did not rest upon an intellectual conversion, but rested upon an encounter with the living God. So, ladies and gentlemen, God wants us to encounter him in his kingdom, in his family. And it is a kingdom of power that brings about radical transformation in our lives. Healings, deliverances, all of those kinds of things happen as a result of that. It wasn't until I saw my first physical healing at a conference that I was confronted with the reality that God truly heals. Prior to that, I had an intellectual, of course, God loves us. I mean, he, you know, and I know that he has the power to heal. But when I saw this woman who was crippled stand up and her spine was straightened and I watched it happen with my own eyes, I go, God, you are alive. You are good. Those are the kinds of things that transform us. That was an experiential encounter with the living God, and it changed my life forever. Now, you can talk to me all you want about the fact that your intellectualism says that it is impossible for God. There isn't anything supernatural, and nothing happens, and no one gets healed. I don't believe in any of that. That's what people would say. It doesn't matter what you say to me. It does not matter what you say to me. I have seen the living God do the miraculous, and he is alive, and he will continue to do that. And you cannot steal that experience from me. See, that is what transforms us. 
That is what transforms us. It's the encounter with the living God, the experience of God that brings about a radical change. It's the one that causes you to surrender your life in martyrdom if you need to. Yeah, I was always perplexed. Why would anyone let themselves be killed? I mean, you know, it was just, that was just weird. I would run and hide, you know. And we see that Jesus at times slipped through the crowd because it wasn't his time, you know. So there are there uh, there is that component to it, but it's the encounter with God in His kingdom, His rule and reign. The fact that He is King, He is sovereign, and He will release His power. Okay, now each of us were born into a family, and as a result of that, oh, we're not going to have enough time today. My goodness, my wife knew that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were each born into a family, and they begin to form what we would call a worldview, and they also, in some ways, provide for you uh, a spiritual worldview also, depending upon the teaching. Now, uh, you can grow up in an, uh, an atheistic family, and those pe- children will typically grow up to not believe that God exists uh, until they encounter God. Uh, I grew up in a, a good, what I would call good evangelical church, uh, and... Um, I got saved at 12 years of age at a church camp. Uh, it was a spiritual encounter with God that I didn't realize I was having, but we won't go into that at this point in time. Uh, and so, but what happens is, is you and I develop a worldview, how we look at life. Uh, and it is the, is the combination of um, the, uh, the things that we're taught and the things that we experience. Powerful authority figures such as teachers have a very powerful influence on our worldview. Uh, you know, we, uh, growing up in the church, uh, a lot of kids that grew up in the church walked away from the Lord when they went to college. Why? Because they, they walked into uh, philosophy classes and those kinds, uh, sociology classes and those kinds of things, and they were confronted with these facts that actually then began to convince them that they had been deceived by their parents and they walked away from the Lord as a result of that. So each one of us has a worldview, a way that we look at life. We understand it, and it's based upon what we were taught and also what we've experienced. The same is true with our spiritual realm. So that lens or that filter is the way we understand things. And what I have found is I really don't like to change. I am really comfortable being right. I don't know. Have you noticed that? It is just so comfortable to be right. Yes. Yeah. And the idea of changing is a lot of work. Wait a minute. Let's see. Scripture says that we need to repent. It says change the way you think. Change what you may believe. My, that's a lot of work. I would rather that God would agree with me than I having to agree with God. Right. So... I'm just saying there is a struggle for us to change, isn't there? There is a struggle for us to change. But the truth of the matter is that every one of us must change. Every one of us must come into a relationship with Jesus and let his Holy Spirit work in our lives that transforms us, that transforms us into his image and likeness. I believe that if truth be known, none of us would sin if we actually knew the consequences of it. 
if we knew the long-term, short-term consequences, not only in our own lives, but also how it affects our family and all of the other issues, if we actually had a revelation of the destruction of sin, we would say no to it when the enemy approaches us. But we don't understand it. We don't see it. We don't, we don't, we don't realize what the seduction of the enemy. We are comfortable the way we are, and many times we will say no to the Lord um, so the problem that occurs in our worldview is when our belief system or our worldview conflicts or uh, comes in conflict with the kingdom of God, with God's uh, truth. And so there is a process that's taking place right now in your lives, in my life right now, God is releasing truth to us to bring change. He's bringing transformation. It may not just be in this sermon. Hopefully, there is truth here that will bring transformation to each one of you. But he's also doing it behind the scenes. Yeah, things that we're not even aware of that he is working within us to bring about real transformation because he has a heart in his love and compassion and goodness. He loves us so much that he wants to change us into his likeness and image. Why, we were touched, we were bitten by the snake. I have a friend that says, all of us got bit by the snake. Yeah, corporately and individually in the Garden of Eden. Okay, so God is the keeper of all truth. He deeply desires to reveal that truth to us and call us to repentance. Repentance, I like the, the short version of that, agreeing with God. Yeah, just agreeing with God. That's the best way to understand repentance. And so Jesus said, I am the truth. And so as we encounter the living Jesus in and through us by the power of the Spirit, he brings about his truth and that changes us. We also see in Jesus that the kingdom of God was, he says, proclaim this. And then also do this. Now, turn to Matthew 10, 7. He's speaking to his disciples. He says, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, now freely give. All right? That's a command to his followers. And that's also a command to you and I. Okay? Yeah. Now, we'll get into the details of that because you're all going, mm -hmm. uh, I don't see that happening in my life. <laughs> I just want you to know that that's where God is taking us. Remember, our life with God is a journey. Yeah. You have been called to walk with the Spirit. Stay in step with the Spirit. What? The kingdom is always moving forward. God invites us to step into the journey with him to reveal the kingdom to this world. We are on a grand adventure. If you have been bored with Christianity, you have not encountered the living God. Yeah. Now, growing up the church, I was bored. We used to joke about counting the ceiling tiles because the, you know, it was so, uh, I won't go there. You know, it's, it, I, you have to go through inner healing, you know, but uh, it's, 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 it's okay. So, uh, so 
So the, the kingdom of, uh, the next principle is that, if you will, is that the kingdom of heaven is proclaimed and it is then also demonstrated or experienced, okay? Very important that we understand that. It is not just an intellectual conversion. It is a radical transformation at a, at a deep, deep spirit, soul level, and it reflects out of our physical lives. Second principle would be, currently the kingdom of heaven is not fully revealed. Now, this is an interesting thought. Okay, Jesus said, pray that the kingdom of heaven come on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that heaven come to earth. Now, I use this term with people sometimes when I'm working with them. I talk about pulling on heaven. For me, I like that. I like the aggressive aspect of taking hold of what God has for us. You know, you can receive a gift, but if you don't put your hands out and take it, it's a little hard to actually utilize the gift, isn't it? Yeah. And so I believe that God is looking for a relationship that has some desire, intensity, aggression, if you will. Not violent, not evil, but passionate, deep desire. He is saying, come to me. And he says, pull on me. I'm wanting to give myself to you. Yeah. And so... He's inviting us to pull on heaven. The kingdom of heaven is interactive. That's a terminology that we, could, we can relate to. Everything is now interactive, right? I grew up, and I missed this truth. I thought that Christianity was passive. You get saved, and then you do your darndest to be good. And that was it. And then you hope that you've done enough that God would say that, per, that uh, Peter at the pearly gates would say, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, it's you. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy, by the skin of your teeth, come on in. That's the kind of thing that, well, I had that fear. I mean, you know, it sounds funny, but it was the way I was trained. It was the way I understood God. And as a result of that, I, it affected my relationship, and it is a picture of my world, my spiritual worldview. Yeah? God is angry, displeased. You need to try really hard, and you better hope that you have done it well enough that he will, you know. It was almost like God had a bit of contempt for me. It is ironic now on the other side of that as a son of the Most High God, that thought is so foreign. And that thought is like, oh, that is a miserable relationship. No wonder I didn't like Christianity. <laughs> it was inviting me into misery. Yeah. And a lot of hard work. And I struggled with that. And I must say, the things of this world later in life really did look like fun, okay? And it took me to those places. I should not have gone. But God rescued me. Thanks be to God, he rescued me from that and brought me back. Okay, so now let's deal with the next issue, and that is God is sovereign, but he doesn't always get his way. You know how it is where I, I, I basically... I grew up as an orphan within the church, 
primarily because I thought I never saw God do anything. I thought I was literally relationally abandoned by God, and I didn't know it. Well, it's called an orphan spirit. There are books that will help you walk through that if you struggle with that. But I grew up as an orphan spiritually in my relationship with God in the church. And as a result of that, uh, I, became, I took on kind of a fatalistic approach, okay? You know how it is where what will be will be, que sera, sera, what will be will be. I think that many times that happens within the body of Christ and we don't even realize it. See, your worldview, we're unaware of it. Why? Because until it is confronted with something else, the truth of God, we just live it. We don't realize it. We don't even realize the deception. See, the enemy works in very sneaky ways. He's diabolical, and he's working underneath the radar, and there are seductive, sneaky little ways that he tricks us into not seeing God who he, as he truly is. And he also deceives us about who we are. And as a result, we have a broken relationship with God, and we don't even know it. Not because of God, but because of what we believe and how we live. God doesn't leave us, but we can turn around and walk away from God. See, that's the thing. God never will abandon us. He will never leave us. He is always there. But we have the ability to turn around and walk away from God. I've done it. I know how it works. But what's interesting is God just says, turn around. Turn around, my son. Turn around, my daughter, and come back to me. I am here with an open arms to hug you and embrace you. Why did Jesus teach about the prodigal son? It's a picture. Go back and look at that passage of Scripture. It is so powerful. It is so much communicates. Now, for us, because we don't, did not live in that culture, we kind of go, yeah, yeah, I, I get the overall view. Cool, you know. At that point in time, the description of the father, the son, and the older brother, well, the older brother made sense to all of them, but the, the, the prodigal son coming back and the father and the way he acted was an offense to that culture. They couldn't put up with that. I was, I mean, they were, I mean, those people that were listening there were just being undone by what Jesus was saying about how the father acted, how the father would embrace a rebel like that for what he had done. Yeah. And so we, 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 don't, we don't understand the full depth of what God, Jesus is trying to communicate to us there. But I'm here to say that the father's love is always there for us. Turn around and step into his embrace and let him change you. You know the issues that you think are preventing you from coming close to God? The only way they're dealt with is by turning around and stepping into the embrace of God. He is the one that's going to set you free from the things that you think disqualify you from the relationship with God. Ladies and gentlemen, Father is here with his embrace. And he says, you may think it's difficult, but I do the impossible works in your life. And so come to me and let me do that in you. Let me transform you. 
surrender to me so that I might do that in you. Okay, so, so God is sovereign. He is all-powerful, but he doesn't always get his way. It says, um, God is patient and kind and wanting all to come to repentance, but you're well aware that not everyone does come to repentance. So his heart and his desire is that everyone come into his kingdom, but not everyone will. So his desire, his sovereign desire for each of us, for his entire creation is to come into relationship with him, but it doesn't always happen. Why? He established an outpost in a chaotic world, and we call it the Garden of Eden. Yeah. It was an outpost of heaven in a world of chaos. But the rebel terrorists invaded the garden in the form of a snake, Satan and his demons. And that demonic deception captured Adam and Eve. And in that covenant representative, we don't have time to go into covenant. It's a whole other discussion. But we came into all of that through Adam and Eve. And we then became slaves to the kingdom of darkness and his ideas. Now, I have an example here. I was going to use this, and then I'm going, my gosh, I am so old. Oh, I was talking to Neva. I said, uh, you know, one of the first things I think about when I don't know someone is I'm always thinking, I wonder how old they are. <laughs> All right, how many of you think that? Raise your hand. None of you. Oh, my gosh. What is wrong with you? She, she's like going, I never think that. I go, you are so pure. I just am so, I am so impressed with you. <laughs> I am 69. I will be 70 in January. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so when I start using examples, I'm going, half the world was not alive when that happened. They have no context for that. Okay, but I'll just give you a brief history because it's very interesting. I, this is called the stock, I believe the Stockholm Principle, and, and that is the idea where, uh, where the captives actually uh, become, become uh, aligned with the ones who have taken them captive and actually begin to embrace their thoughts and ideas. Uh, way back in the day in the 70s, Patty Hearst, an heiress to a fortune, was actually captured by a group of, of domestic terrorists called the Simonese Liberation Army, okay? And they ran around doing bad things within our culture. See, it isn't just now that we're experiencing. This world has had nothing but chaos and turmoil as a result of the work of the enemy. Yeah, cyclical, but okay. What happened was, is ultimately she was converted to their ways and she helped rob a bank and actually went to prison as a result of that. Why? Because she had spent so much time with her captors and she began to believe what they were telling her and her mind changed. She began to believe the lies and they became truth to her. And you and I live our truth. If you want to know what is truly going on in your life, just watch your life. You live your truth, okay? Yeah. And so, what happens is, Adam and Eve stepped in under the lies of the enemy and then formed for the rest of humanity, up until Jesus, 
They all became slaves to his ideas and understanding and his worldview. Okay? And they lived that out to their own destruction. Then, in this kingdom expression, Jesus, God in the flesh, invades this world at his birth. And Satan's kingdom uh, is turned upside down at that point. The enemy didn't really know what was going on. But Jesus' plan was to restore the kingdom of God, God's rule and reign in this realm. Why? Because it, was, it originally belonged to God. It was delegated authority given to Adam and Eve, and they gave it to the enemy. And if you remember in the temptation of Jesus, the enemy says, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this, the kingdoms of the world. You know what? He could do that. He could do that because he had control of it. Yeah. And he was actually providing Jesus with a shortcut. Yeah. That's all he was. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shortcut. Yeah. And Jesus didn't buy it. No. And he always fought the enemy with Scripture because why? The, the enemy was always using Scripture to try and trip him up. Isn't that interesting? But we won't go into that. Too much to talk about there. All right? Going back to the kingdom. So Jesus invades this realm, and then what happens is he begins to find followers, people of faith that come into a relationship with him, and he begins to train them as warriors. Much of Scripture, particularly the Apostle Paul, talks about the fact that we are called into a war. Now, in this whole idea of kingdom, there was a world in chaos. God says, I want that. I'm establishing an outpost. I'm sending Adam and Eve, and they will take over the world and actually bring everything under the divine order of the kingdom of God. But they didn't. They gave it to, to Satan. And Satan ruled and reigned until Jesus showed up on the scene. And then Jesus said, all right, guys, we're going to take this back. Yes. We're going to take this back. Yeah. So you and I are now a part of the God's grand rescue mission for this world. If you were bored with life, I just want to help reframe things for you. You were called by God to be a part of this gigantic rescue mission for the entire world. Wow, that is huge. Yes. And you think your life doesn't have any meaning or purpose. That is a lie from the enemy and do not believe it. You have great purpose. You have great potential. Well, maybe you're not seeing it right now. Okay, well, now is the time to surrender to God and let him do that in you then, okay? We are not... The kingdom of his God is not filled with people who are whining and complaining, okay? The children of Israel did that in a desert, and God didn't like that. Why? Because they were empowered by him and resourced by him to go into the promised land, and they got afraid, and they stepped away from that. May we fight against fear, and may we pull on heaven for the resources, and may we see the kingdom advanced as a result of that. 
You have been called by God for a gigantic rescue mission. And you've been equipped because heaven is available to you. All you want to do is pull on it. Pull it, first of all, into your own life. And then let that explode and radiate from each of you as it touches other people's lives. There is where the transformation comes place. You are God's answer. Jesus said you'll do greater works than I. That always perplexed me because, my, his life is really good. <laughs> but he's probably talking numerically and also, um, well, I don't know. Who knows what the future holds? God does. But there is great potential here. And so I believe that all of us are living below our potential. Now, you can take that as a shame, and I would say no to shame. Okay, when God points things up, he doesn't do it to shame us. He's doing it to set us free. Okay, so when he speaks to us with that, it is for freedom. He is a good father. See, the problem is that we struggled with our fathers. Everyone, okay, fathers, I mean, I'm a dad, okay? But I am a weak dad. I am one that is imperfect. I was not a perfect father. We have one perfect father, the Lord God Almighty. And as we've been adopted into the kingdom as as children of God, we take hold of Father's hand, the real Father, and let his health and wholeness come to us so that we can become children that look like him. You know, we're supposed to reflect Jesus. We're supposed to reflect we look like God. Okay, so... If we then encounter the truth, it begins to transform us. It is a process, okay? We're all in process. I've told you that. I want to repeat that. Why? Because the enemy always shames us for our lack of process or for going around the same mountain that we did the last time. And all that is is a distraction. All he's, he's picking on us. Don't listen to the enemy. And if you can't stop listening to him, then call a brother or sister and help them fight with you for that against what the enemy says. Yeah, we need help. We don't do this alone. We are a family. We do not do this alone. We don't abandon each other. We stand with each other. And when someone is under siege, we come up with them and we fight with them on their behalf. Okay? Now, um, I was raised in a farm, and so uh, uh, with at least cows, I'm fairly familiar with them. With uh, them, uh, if there was a predator that came up, the, the calves would go to the center, the, the cows would all ring around, their heads over their calves, and they would have their hind legs ready to repel any wolf or coyote or anything that was coming up. They were going to knock it out, okay? I like that idea. I like that idea within the body of Christ, okay? Those who are weaker, we surround. The stronger ones, get ready to nail the enemy when it comes up. And we can do it. We do it individually. We do it corporately. Okay, so um, let's see here. We've already established that Satan is a thief and a robber. That's all he ever does. Uh, uh, When Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection occurred, he restored authority to the earth, and he also then restored authority to you and I. 
Okay. Part of that, people were powerless, really. The enemy just ran amok and really did people in. God introduced law in order to save a small group of people in order to actually be the mother, if you will, of the Christ. And if that hadn't occurred, then there would have been no place for Christ to be born. So the Jews were chosen as a special group in order, and they were, uh, laws were established in order to prevent them from destroying themselves. That's the purpose of that, okay? So in this transformation now, in this change, okay, now what happens is Jesus, and it says that he restored the keys to the kingdom back to us. Yeah, yeah. He gave us the authority, the power. He talks about that to his disciples. He's transferring the authority that was originally with Adam and Eve. Yeah, back to us. Back to original creation. That's God's goal. That you and I live as Adam and Eve lived in perfect harmony and relationship with God. And we live out of the abundance of the kingdom. Okay? Now, because there is a process, a transition, there is, um, there is uh, the struggle of seeing the kingdom fully revealed. Every time someone's healed, delivered, every time someone comes into the kingdom, all of those things are encounters with God, breakthroughs of heaven into this realm for transformation into our lives. And so that is why Jesus instructed his disciples May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, as kingdom people, we are pulling on heaven through an act of prayer and we are pulling the resources of heaven. In other words, there is no sickness, disease. There's no demonic activity in heaven. All of those things are a part of the rebel forces that took what God had originally had. We were robbed and so was God. God says, I have a plan. My rescue mission is to empower my people and they will take the place of Adam and Eve in the corporate setting and they will restore the Garden of Eden to earth. Yeah, glory, yes. And so you and I aggressively pray. We pull on heaven, expecting with conviction. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to scream really loud, okay? Okay. Because I know that sometimes people think that loud prayers are the best prayers. And it doesn't, I'm, not, I'm just saying that because those people who don't, they sometimes feel like that, that's the effective. It is actually the relationship that you have with God that is the effective prayer. Okay, it's your intimacy. You want the enemy to shake, press close to God. Okay, yeah, the book of James says uh, uh, about uh, the demons, oh, you believe in God? Oh, yeah, well, even the demons believe. And they're, he doesn't say this, this is Bruce's, uh, they're even smart enough to shake because they know the power of God, okay? They tremble because they know who God is, okay? May we come into a relationship with God that is so in, intimate that when we align with God and are in his embrace, it makes the kingdom of darkness shake. Now, that would be a wonderful goal for each of our lives, wouldn't it? That would be a wonderful goal. Okay. So, principle number four is uh, identity. 
Uh, turn uh, to First uh, Peter two nine through twelve. I love this passage. You know, if you want this week, if you want to uh, want to just focus on something, uh, want to meditate on something, meditate on this passage. It will help change who you are. Okay. But you are a chosen uh, people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Yes. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires that war against your soul. And then he goes on to live lives, uh, good lives among the pagans that, they, uh, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. And so what he's saying is, is that you and I are a royal priesthood, okay? We belong to a king. We are sons and daughters. And so every male is a prince, Every female is a princess. Now, uh, we went to Europe a couple of years ago. My uncle gave us money. You're wanting to know, how did you afford to do that? No, that would be one of the things that I would ask. Uh, yeah, it was expensive. But my, my, I have a rich uncle, and he gave us money after my father's passing as, I don't know, as a gift. It was a blessing. And uh, we thought, well, we could apply it to tuition, or we could go to Europe. And we said, we're going to go to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> we did it, and it was wonderful. But what's fascinating is we, get, we were kind of immersed in the culture of the medieval times, the castles, the, those kinds of things. And what was fascinating was beginning to talk about dynasties, uh, rules and reign, the power, the corruption of power, all of those kinds of things. It was extremely insightful. Uh, and it gave us uh, kind of a picture into how royalty worked in a fallen way but was also a picture of what God really wants to do as a royal, as part of the royal family. You and I are a part of a royal priesthood. We are born to God. We're born for God. And with that, the prince and the princess in the realm of God has great authority. They speak on behalf of a father, the king. Yeah. And what they say goes. They carry that kind of authority. Now, think about that in our relationship with God. We are so immersed into a relationship with God. There is such intimacy that our thoughts are like his thoughts. Our desires are his desires. His desires are our desires. <laughs> Smith Wigglesworth, a great man of God from the past, said that when God isn't moving, I move God. I go, how arrogant that can be. What it pictures is a relationship that I am kind of amazed at. There is a give and a take here. Okay, so when my daughters, my princesses, come to me and they want something, I go, hmm, well, that's, that might be kind of expensive or whatever. I go, I struggle. Why? Because I want to bless them. I want to do whatever I can to make their lives better. I want to be a good father. Now, there, I have limited resources, so I can't do everything for them. But what is within my power, I will do for them. 
because I love them. All right. Now, I'm a son of the Most High God. I am a prince. I have been called by God to extend his authority as I press into him and live in with my heart beating with his heart, with my mind thinking as his mind thinks, I then begin to release. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I live on the word of God. I, I feed on the word of God. He modeled for us a relationship that is available to you and I. Well, we go, well, that's Jesus. Yes, it is. But Hebrews says he's a forerunner. He is the firstborn among many. He is a model for us. We don't just say, oh, that's Jesus, and we're the serfs, the, the, the no-gooders. No. He says, step into this. So in the kingdom, we need a radical change of identity of who we are. We need a radical, radical transformation of, of who we understand ourselves to be. Now, when I was growing up in the church, everyone was so concerned about pride. I am concerned about shame, okay? You know, if you think you struggle with pride, stay in relationship with other people and they'll help you, okay? Yeah, okay? Or God has the ability to deal with our pride, okay? Now, you know, Pride is a, is a problem. But what's interesting in the context of relationship within the kingdom of God, God has his ways and means committee in dealing with the pride in our life, okay? My concern is shame. My concern is shame. Why? Because it doesn't let us stand up and receive. What happens is we are always with our backs to God in shame, buckled down. And God is saying, turn around. Let me deal with the issues. Come to me. Let me empower you. Let me heal you. Let me. The shame is to go to the cross, not to be hung on to by the rest of us. All right, we throw that off. We give it to Jesus. Why? Because the shame was to go to Jesus. And the enemy says, if I can get you ashamed, what will happen then is it'll separate you. You'll turn away from the resources of heaven. So, and so if we, if we understand brothers and sisters are struggling with shame, we help them walk out of that because it, it's debilitating. It is a destructive force in our lives, and we need to be mindful of that. So we are royal priests, interesting priests, individuals who actually, uh, they were the go-between between in the Old Testament between God and man. But what's interesting is that all of us are priests. Okay, it's the priesthood of the believers, and there were, each one of us are now a go-between. Our go-between is between God and the fallen the people that are not a part of the body of Christ. We're all priests unto God, male and female. Come into the kingdom. Step into ministering to God and receiving the ministry of God and helping others. Then what happens is as they become saved, they step into the royal priesthood. They don't stay there. We don't have that position where we're always that. We're actually calling people into the family of God, into the kingdom. Come and meet the king and actually understand who you are and be 
filled with the Spirit and now be transformed. And now you can be a part of what God is doing in and through us. You too are a part of the royal priesthood. You too now become a priest unto God or so that you can bring about the healing and deliverance. So you can minister on behalf of God to bring about the transformation. Okay? So we minister to God and we also minister to people in order to bring them into the kingdom. Okay, principle five. We're ambassadors on behalf of God. Okay, uh, uh, I don't know that I uh, will read it uh, just for the sake of time here, but uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, it talks about being ambassadors. Uh, one of the things that we learned when we were in uh, Europe, not only did they have ambassadors in the royal family, but uh, the uh, royal um, uh, families in Europe are pretty inbred. Yeah. They're always marrying off their cousins and that to other families in order to stay. What was the reason? It was to, in order to maintain peace and power. If you're married to my daughter, there's less likely that you'll attack me and try and take my country away from me. Okay? Uh, we were, uh, there's uh, the Habsburg royal family uh, from 15th century to the 20th century. Actually, World War I ended their rule and reign. Uh, they were in Austria. We visited the Schomburg Palace. It was a very, I mean, we saw a lot of beautiful things, okay? And if you can ever do that, I would, in, I would uh, you know, I would encourage you to, to be able to go ahead and do that. But uh, So we walked through this bedroom where um, the king was actually the king, but the, the queen had the power because he was a playboy. He's out running around hunting and hanging out with people he shouldn't hang out with. Okay, I won't go any farther, okay? So the queen had to take over. She had like 18 kids, okay? So there are plenty of people to children to pass around. Well, you, the famous one is her youngest daughter was Marie Antoinette, married to King Louis XVI, and she lost her head during the French Revolution, okay? So she was a Habsburg. She was a part, she came from Austria originally. And the idea was is that the queen was making arrangements with all the other royal families in Europe to get interconnected through marriage. It was a way to have an ambassador that lived in the palace of one of the other countries. And so, I mean, they were strategic in their thinking and how they did that. Thank God we don't have to do that, okay? <laughs> anyway, she ruled from her bed because she'd had like, I think, 18 kids, okay? And it was uh, an interesting thing, just a side note, has nothing to do with the sermon, that wallpaper was 600 years old on the wall. It had plexiglass over it, and we couldn't take pictures, and we had to, of course, you know, we're 30 feet away from it, but uh, with guards and all that. Uh, but uh, we realized that that wallpaper was older than the United States. By a long ways. The wallpaper still hanging on the wall. It was from Jap Japan. Yeah, it was blue. It had gold woven in it. And her bed was, was, had, had gold woven into the fabric, and there was a canopy bed. It was, I mean, I don't know how you would sleep under something like that. You must have had to sleep on top of it. It was probably so heavy, it would have smothered you or crushed you. But the opulent luxury, the, the power that was imparted to them, and how they utilized those relationships in order to keep peace. Okay. What God is saying to us as ambassadors is that we have a message of peace in a world that's filled with chaos. 
The kingdom of God brings peace. Now, it's interesting. We see with worldly kingdoms, they're always at war trying to take territory. And so, but our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers of darkness. And so you and I are warriors on behalf of God with the resources of heaven doing damage to the kingdom of darkness, not to our brothers and sisters. Not to each other because we are all God's creation chosen by God to be a part of his family. Okay, so today I would encourage you, I'm closing, That's the, you can all tell that, right? Okay, uh, I, grew, I grew up in a church where my, my grandmother was the organist, and so uh, to turn the organ on, she had to let it warm up. So she would reach over from the choir loft and she would click the organ and it would snap. Everyone in the congregation knew that it was closed. Because grandma, grandma had, grandma had just snapped the organ on. It was warming up for the closing song. Yeah. So every time I say that, I think about grandma. <laughs> I think about how, oh yeah, she's the one that decided, snap. <laughs> and everyone else just checked out at that point. Okay, where are we going for lunch? You know, is the whole idea. <laughs> so, in summary... You and I have been called by God to be a part of a great and glorious rescue mission in this world. We have available to us the resources of heaven. It requires relationship. It requires intensity to press into him and to pull on heaven so that we might see his glory revealed in our lives. Yes, my encouragement to you is to join with him in this wonderful mission. Yeah. Let the marvelous God and his great and powerful works work in you and work through you for real transformation. I want you to believe with both your mind and your heart in the goodness of God. See, right now, God has been, for the last six months, he's been camping on this idea of goodness. I did not realize how good God was. I still don't know. He, it is a progressive revelation of his goodness. He is so good. He's so good, I, I think he gives us tongues in order to help express that because our spirit need, needs to just, you know, release it, you know. But I just want you to know that there's more of God's goodness for each of us to experience. I encourage you to embrace the king and his kingdom as he embraces you. Yes. Stand up and let's pray. And when the worship team can come and we'll do our final song. Lord, we thank you. Ah, we thank you for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will continue to do in our lives. Yes. And Lord, we accept that place of intimate as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Lord, we come today to pull on you, to pull on your heavenly resources for our benefit and for the benefit of all because, Lord, you're always desiring to bless. And so, Lord, 
May we receive your blessing. May it transform our lives. May we then be empowered by you to fulfill the destiny and then also leave a legacy for the next generation that brings honor and glory to you. And we pray this in the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org.